Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Great to have you all along this morning or afternoon, as the case may be. Hey, Rob. Good morning, Lewis and Megan. Happy Tuesday to you, Dale. Hey, Ron. It's good to have you with us. So we are in Romans 14. And, you know, when I talk about the kingdom of God, like we did in the Kingdom in the Last Days series over the holidays, uh, I get some people pushing back very hard, especially when I emphasize that we are in the kingdom now, that Jesus really meant it when he said, the kingdom is soon, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is near, and he said that 2,000 years ago. And we look at some of those prophecies that talk about the kingdom coming in what we now call the first century. Get some pushback sometimes with a little bit of, uh, at least it appears to be a little arrogance. Oh, this is really great, isn't it? Yeah, we're all living forever and Jesus is right here with us, yada, yada, yada. And I think that betrays a profound misunderstanding of the nature of the kingdom. Now, we read this verse yesterday from Romans 14. I'm going to read it again. And I encourage you to ponder this a bit. Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll come back and look at the, the, the weaker brother, stronger brother context here. But just notice the statement here. He says, do not then, do not let then evil be spoken of your good. And again, we'll come back and remind ourselves what that means here. But he's talking about eating food, that kind of thing. Uh, your good, your, your freedom to eat food. Don't let that be spoken of as evil. Why? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Rather, it's a very strong adversative in the Greek, rather, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He just gave us a definition of what the kingdom of God is. What is the nature of this kingdom? And notice he says the kingdom of God is, not the kingdom of God will be. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is one of the reasons I emphasize all the time here in our home fellowship with my family, Christians, as often as I can. This is one of the reasons I emphasize the, necess uh, the, the necessity of joy. We are to be joyful people. The Holy Spirit produces joy. And it, but it's not just some sentimental experience. It's based on what the Lord has done and is doing. This is why I talk so much about counting our blessings and rehearsing our blessings and giving thanks for our blessings. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of all kings, in his kingdom, he is pouring out abundant blessings on us that are intended to produce joy. I said this a few weeks back. Uh, I said something about, uh, I don't know exactly how I framed it, but the, the essential point was, I think we spiritualize, I don't know if that's the right word, we 
we, we are so afraid of attaching joy to any temporal things that we experience. Somewhere along the line, people have started teaching, pastors and theologians have started saying that joy is not in any way connected to circumstances or to uh, temporal experiences and blessings and gifts. Read your Bible. Stop reading men and read your Bible. Where does the Bible say that? Where does it say that the joy that the Lord produces in us and the joy of the Spirit is disconnected from God's many blessings? Does it ever say the only joy that matters is joy you have in the gospel or in someday being saved, something like that? Justification by faith? I don't see it. We, we separate life and living in the kingdom from the gospel, even though Jesus said, I've come to preach the gospel of the kingdom. We separate those things. And I, it's what I like to call the, uh, the devil's psyop. He's done a number on us. No, you look at all the blessings God has given you in his kingdom, and it brings great joy. Of course, the biggest and most significant blessing is the cross and resurrection, but that's not where it stops, that's where it starts. And again, I show you the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We are to be a righteous people. We must not have a trivial view of sin. No, we are to be righteous. Again, a part of the devil psyop is this, uh, this separation between the gospel and righteousness where if you pursue righteousness, it seems like in lots of circles, you're condemned as though you're teaching a false, false gospel or a gospel of works. And yet Jesus, the king said, you are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's, it's the very definition of the kingdom is righteousness. Throw off sin, hate your sin, and pursue righteousness. And peace, we are to be at peace with each other, peace with others, peace with God, of course, but also peace with each other. And joy, all these things, this is the kingdom of God, and it's now. You, saint, are in the kingdom. The kingdom was for you. Remember, we saw this in Daniel. The saints take possession of the kingdom when the king comes. He has come. It's our kingdom. It's our possession. So we need to take charge of this world and build the kingdom of Jesus, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. If you're not manifesting and growing in righteousness, peace, and joy, you're failing to live up to what the king has given you. And we have to do this for so many reasons, but one is the world needs to see it. Other Christians need to see it because so many are have fallen prey to the devil's psyop. Megan says, amen, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Absolutely. Where do you get the strength to live this day? In the joy of the Lord. Rob says, it is sad because I find great joy in my work, and that comes from God as well. Yeah, Solomon said that again and again. Some of you 
may have been around when we did the Ecclesiastes study way back two and a half years ago, something like that. Solomon says it repeatedly. If you can enjoy your work, that's a gift of God. If you can rest your head at the end of a hard day and say, I did good. I worked hard. It was fulfilling. And, and enjoy the fruit of that work, like literally the fruit, or in most cases today, the mo- money that we have to buy fruit and other good things. Psalm says that's a gift of God. But the devil has duped us into not giving thanks and not enjoying this life and all of its blessings. All right, so that's the kingdom. And I, I, I'm not going to stay here longer because Paul doesn't, but as you think about the kingdom that is now, and you ponder this and really own it in your heart, it will change your life and you will have an impact on others and you will be blessed and you'll be happy and joyful and peaceful and righteous and other. it's contagious. Others will follow you. All right, so that's the statement. It's in the context of how the stronger brother, the one who has stronger faith, meaning he's, he, he understands that he is free to eat any meat, even if it was sacrifice idols, and free to drink wine, even if it was used in idolatrous uh, ceremonies, that kind of thing. And Paul says, don't let that freedom cause you to cause your weaker brother to stumble because the kingdom of God is not about what you eat and drink. Right? So let me pull back here and I'm just going to read this section and then come back and comment on it. But, but let these words sink in. I have known, Paul says, I have known and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself, meaning no food, except to him who is reckoning anything to be unclean, to him, to that one, it is unclean. Let me read that again. I have known and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself, except to him who is reckoning anything to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. We will come back. And if your brother is grieved through food, you no longer walk according to love. In other words, if you are causing your brother who is convicted not to eat or drink this, you grieve him, you're no longer walking according to love if you try to persuade him against his conscience to eat or drink it. Do not destroy with your food that one for whom Christ died. The stakes are very high here. I don't mean S-T-E-A-K, <laughs> S-T-A-K-E. The stake is very high. We'll come back to this. This is, a, this is a strong word. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Well, what does that mean? How could someone else be destroyed because of my food? Then he quotes the verse I've been reading about the kingdom. I'll come back to this in a minute. So then we may pursue the things of peace and the things of building up one another. Or may we, I should say. Do not cast down the work of God for the sake of food. Again, another strong phrase. Casting down God's work. What does that mean? All things indeed are pure. Again, the context is food, that kind of thing. But evil to the man who is eating through stumbling. 
objectively, the meat and the wine, they are good. They're pure. They're fine. But they are evil for some people. It is not right to eat flesh, or literally it's the word meat. I'm not sure why they translate it flesh here, but it is not right to eat meat or to nor to drink wine, nor to do anything in which your brother stumbles or is made to fall or is weak. You have faith, have it to yourself before God. You have faith, you are strong in your faith to be able to eat this meat, drink this wine. Great, do that. Blessed is he who is not judging himself himself and what he approves. And he who is making a difference, if he may eat, has been condemned. Because it is not a faith. And all that is not a faith is sin. And that is the, that is the heart of it right there. If it's not a faith, it is sin. So uh, I know, especially in the literal translation here, there's some strange things. Let me just lay it out for you. Remember, the whole context is eating uh, or, or strength in faith and weakness in faith. The weakness in faith is the one who his faith, his trust in what God has done through Christ in the new covenant is not strong enough to accept and understand that there is no such thing as an idol and that meat that is offered to that idol, nothing actually happens to the meat. Remember, these are probably Jewish folks that have been taught forever. If you go back and read Jeremiah, for instance, Jeremiah, God just blasts the Jews for the food they eat that has been sacrificed to idols and and all of the idolatry that they are committing in the temple itself. And then they've been in exile for hundreds of years because of it. So you can understand why a Jew who had a a strong conviction to please the Lord would say, no, no, that, that stuff is all off limits. But then you understand the gospel, you understand what Christ has done, that all foods are objectively clean, and now they're all subjectively clean as well. But some can't get there. And Paul's statement, whatever is not of faith is sin. What it means is, and this, is, this applies in other areas as well, if your conscience is weighing you down, and you go against your conscience, that is sin. If you're thinking, I probably shouldn't be doing this, and you do it anyway, that's sin. Not because the act or the thing itself is sin, but because God has given us a conscience, and to violate the conscience is basically saying to God, you have put this voice in my head telling me not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. That is sin. you can't do it in faith, if you can't do it trusting that the Lord is pleased with this, you must not do it. And to violate that faith, what I'm calling the conscience here, is to sin against God. So you you see the setting? The person who says, "Mm, I don't think it's okay to eat that meat. But then you come and say, no, no, it's fine. Go ahead and eat it. And they have that voice in their head saying, I shouldn't eat this, but I don't want anybody to think I'm weird or, oh, whatever, I'll just go ahead and do it. For that person who goes ahead and does it, it is sin to eat that meat. Even though for me, it's not sin. For you, it may not be sin. 
And a person who willingly defies what they believe the Lord wants is on their way to destruction. Look again at some of these terms. It's an offense. It's a stumbling stone. If you lead that person to violate their conscience, you're putting a stumbling stone, a stone in which they will stumble and fall before them. You are destroying them. So you take that meat from Zeus temple and you prepare it and eat it. And everybody knows it's from Zeus temple. And you tell the person who's weak in faith, no, go ahead. It's fine. And they violate their conscience. That Paul says is destroying them. To them, it is evil to eat that meat. They stumble, they fall, they are weak. They are judging themselves. They are condemned. He doesn't say they're simply feeling condemned. You're actually leading this person to commit great sin against God because you are leading them to violate their conscience. And Paul says, do not allow what is good to become spoken of as evil. Do not lead your brother in this. By yourself, the weak brother's not around. Eat that meat. Drink that wine all you want to. But if it's truly causing someone to eat, lacking the faith to do so, you are causing them to be condemned. God will judge them for violating their conscience. That is a strong, strong statement. On the flip side, for the one who is willing to set aside his freedom for the sake of a weaker brother, look what he says here. He who in these things is serving Christ with righteousness, peace, and joy and not flaunting his freedom, but saying, hey, I'll, I'll set aside my rights here to eat if it means you're not violating your conscience. This is acceptable to God and approved of men. Where have we seen this phrase, acceptable to God, earlier in Romans? Anybody? Acceptable to God. Well, somebody's answering that question, because I'm sure you will. Let me uh, get to Jeff's comment here. Everyone wants to be the weaker brother to impose their will, and yes, that is destructive. We really have to ask ourselves what our motives are, and are we really the weaker brother or stronger brother? Okay, so you're, you're addressing something totally different from what Paul is. And I, I would agree there is a manipulative uh, uh, way that some might use this, but before we go there, don't miss what's being said here because Paul does not actually address what you just brought up, Jeff. So yes, just because somebody abuses this does not mean we should uh, miss what's being said. And, and actually he doesn't say it's destructive for the weaker brother to do what you described there. He says it's destructive for the stronger brother to lead the weaker brother into temptation. Uh, Rob, Rob nailed it. Yes. Romans 12. So catch this. I call on you, therefore, brothers, through the compassions of God to present your bodies a sacrifice, living 
sanctified, acceptable to God. Right? So we talked about this. This is what we are now to do, to present our whole bodies as living sacrifices, as acceptable sacrifices to God. And do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind for your proving what the will of God is, the good and acceptable and perfect. And remember we talked then when we were looking at that. We want to make that so much, um, I don't know, super spiritual, um, contemplative, uh, theological, Paul is telling us what is this acceptable, renewed mind and living sacrifice. What is it? It is saying, I'm not going to eat that meat, even though I'm free to, if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. That is presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. You're you're saying, it's not about what I want. It's about the good of my brother. And his conscience is going to destroy him and bring him to God's judgment if he eats that meat. So I'm not going to do anything that's going to cause him to stumble like that. That's being a living sacrifice. That is the renewed mind. That is the transformation that God is looking for. Because I love my brother. And that is acceptable and well-pleasing to God. So then he says, May we pursue the things of peace and the building up of one another, not tearing them down through our eating. You have faith to eat it. Great. But the acceptable thing is to not cause your brother who doesn't have that same faith to sin. Chapter 15. And we ought, that is the word, to owe a debt. We, are ob- we have an obligation, we who are strong. You understand the meat and the, and the wine are free for anybody to eat? Great. You have strong faith. You have an obligation now that you've come to that knowledge to bear the weakness of the powerless and not to please ourselves. This is acceptable to God. Stop worrying about pleasing yourself and bear with the weakness of the powerless. For let each one of us please the neighbor for good, for edification that is building up. Doesn't mean just teaching theology. (laughs) For even the Christ did not please himself, but according as it has been written, the reproaches of those reproaching you fell on me. Psalm 69. For as many things as were written before, for our instruction were written before, that through the endurance... And the exhortation of the writings, we might have the hope. And may the God of the endurance and of the exhortation give to you to have the same mind toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord, with one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, receive one another according as also the Christ received us to the glory of God. As Christ has received you and me, we're to receive the weaker brother. Now, briefly, I do want to address what Jeff was getting at. Because it's a good point. We just have to be careful and not quickly jump there and forget this one. 
remember, the weaker brother here doesn't think that he is free to eat this meat and drink this wine. And Paul has already told that weaker brother, don't judge the one who does eat and drink. So where this has been abused is someone who says, it's a sin, for instance, for you to drink alcohol. It's not tied to wine offered to a, a pagan god or anything. It's just in general. I, don't th- I think it's wrong for you to drink alcohol. And therefore, if you drink alcohol, I'm the weaker brother. You need to conform to my view of these things. That's not what Paul is addressing. I'm not going to serve a glass of wine to someone in my household who thinks it's sinful. I don't want them to drink it if they think it's sinful. If they tell me I'm not a Christian, that Christians cannot, they may not, it's incompatible with being a Christian and drinking a glass of wine, I'm going to pour a glass probably right in front of them and drink it and show them, no, it's actually compatible. Watch. Because <laughs> Paul's not saying here that Christians cannot eat the meat and drink the wine. Objectively, they are good. That's what he's been. That's the whole point of the stronger brother. Remember, we said this yesterday. It's not objectively sinful. So when, the, when someone claims to be the weaker brother and tries to manipulate the behavior of others, they've crossed a line. So th- there does say, there does require, this does require some nuanced thinking and some conversations probably to find out what's really going on here. So this is not a license for someone to abuse and control the behavior of others claiming to be the weaker brother. But we can flip to the other side too far and say every time someone has a conviction about something, oh, they're trying to manipulate me and I'm going to flaunt my freedom. Both parties here, this is is the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy. Both parties should strive to be kind and gracious to those who see this differently. So it doesn't become a battleground. See the difference? Our attitude should be, how can I be at peace and not condemn and not judge and not cause someone to stumble? Uh, Edgar says, I mentioned yesterday I don't like to be around alcohol, not because I think having a drink in itself is sin, but I just don't like to be around based on what I've experienced in the past. I respectfully deny fellowshipping when alcohol is there. I don't expect them to change their plans just for me. I just won't attend. Okay. Um, and he says, is this the same thing as Paul states in 1 Corinthians 9? Yeah, it's the same context. It's the, uh, the food and drink there. And that's where he says, look, I'll, I'll never drink it again or eat it again if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. Um, so, yeah, same context. Uh, yeah, yeah, very good. All right, so I I just want to encourage you all to ponder these things and check your own attitude, regardless of where you come down on some of this. 
Check your attitude. Are we seeking righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? That's the kingdom. And these very real-life situations are how we manifest the kingdom. So let's do it. All right, have a great day, and uh, we'll see you, Lord willing, tomorrow. God bless.